0: Chapter three Badman's Apprenticeship to a Godly Employer Unfortunately his father did that. He put him out to live with an acquaintance of his, and begged him by all love to take care of his son and keep him from extravagant ways. His honest trade was extensive. Besides full time employment there, this young bad man had no empty time or idle hours for opportunities to do badly. But it was all the same to him, because just as he'd begun to be disgusting in his father's house, that's what he continued to be in the house of his boss. I've known some children who are very bad at home, yet have changed a lot when put out of the home, especially when placed into a family where the guardians make a conscious effort to maintain the worship and service of God. Perhaps that was lacking in Mr. Badman's boss's house. Without a doubt, some children greatly change when placed under other men's roofs. But, as I said, this naughty boy didn't. But neither did his badness continue because he didn't lack a boss who could and did correct it. For his boss was a very good man, a very devout person. One who encouraged the best for the soul, and who set up the worship of God and his family as a priority, and who also walked in that way himself. He was also a very meek and merciful man, one who never overworked young Badman or kept him working at inconvenient hours. You don't say that is rare. I've seen few situations that can parallel with Mr Badman's employer in these things. I have seen few as well, yet Mr. Badman had such a situation. Today, for the most part, bosses think about nothing but their worldly concerns, and if apprentices just do as they are told, their soul and faith may wither. Yes, I fear that many young men who are ready to do or learn are put out by their parents to live under such bosses, and as a result, Are quite undone by them regarding things pertaining to the next world. I'm sorry to hear that, but please, now that you've touched on this subject, explain more what you mean how a boss can be the ruin of his poor apprentice. I can't tell you about all the ways, but I'll mention some of them. For instance, suppose that a compliant young man who is ready to learn is placed as an apprentice with one alleged. To be a godly man. If this boss isn't cautious and watchful in all things he does in front of his young apprentice in respect to both God and man, the young man can be harmed in many ways. First, if he isn't balanced in the use of his apprentice, if he drives him beyond his strength, if he forces him to work at unreasonable hours, if he won't allow time and makes it inconvenient to read the word, to pray, etc., This type of governing is the way to destroy the young man under his charge, because these activities inspire the beginning of impressionable good thoughts about spiritual things. Second, if he permits his house to be scattered with profane and wicked books, which stir up lust, immorality, and teach such things that stir up idle, unrestrained, lewd conversations, and have a tendency to provoke irreverent stories or joking. Such books tend to corrupt and pervert the doctrine of faith and holiness. All these things will corrupt and eat like a cancer to quickly spoil the good beginnings that can be instilled in them in their youth. Third, if there is a mixture of employees, that is, if some very bad people are living and working in the same place as the young apprentice, that is another way to undo such impressionable young men. Because those who are bad and sordid will often act that way, and have an opportunity to distill and encourage their profane, wicked words and tricks in front of them. And these things will easily stick in the flesh and minds of youth and corrupt them. Fourth, if the boss puts on one facade outside the home and workplace and another in the home, if he takes off his religion and hangs it in his house like his cloak, and is seldom in it except when he is outside the walls of his home young beginners will take notice of this and will stumble because of this bad example we say hedges have eyes and little pitchers have ears and to be sure children carefully watch the way fathers bosses and others in authority live their lives therefore bosses should be careful how they live or they can destroy good beginnings in their apprentices in this way Fifth, if the employer is reprehensible in his dealings, and trades with lying words, or if bad products are promised to be good, or if he seeks after unreasonable profits or the like, his apprentice sees it, and it can be enough to undo him. Eli's son's bad behavior before the congregation made men despise the sacrifices of the Lord, But these things, incidentally, can only serve as a hint to bosses to pay attention so they don't destroy the souls of their apprentices. But young Batman had none of these hindrances. His father took care and provided well for him in this regard. He had a good boss who didn't lack in good books, good instruction, good sermons, good examples, or in good fellow employees either, but all that didn't help. It is a wonder that in such a family, amid so much spiritual help, nothing took hold of his heart. Nothing! Not good books, good instruction, good sermons, good examples, or good fellow workers. It is hard to believe that nothing did him any good. It means he didn't pay attention to any of these things that they were repulsive to him. As for good books, they could lay in his boss's house until they rotted and he would never think to look into them, while on the other hand he would get all the bad and offensive books he could, like filthy romances and books full of vulgar language, the type that immediately tended to set all fleshly lusts on fire. Of course, he didn't dare to let his boss know about any of these. Therefore he never let him see them, but kept them hidden away to read when the opportunity arose. In regards to good instruction, he liked that as much as he liked good books. He cared little to hear it, and when he did he forgot what he heard as soon as it was spoken. I have heard some who knew him say that one could clearly discern by his expression and gestures that good counsel made him uncomfortable, even became a continual torment to him. Nor did he ever consider himself free from restriction except when furthest from wholesome words. scripture. The scorner does not love the one that reproves him, neither will he go unto the wise proverbs fifteen twelve he hated those who rebuked him and counted them as deadly enemies. Scripture chasten not a scorner, lest he hate thee. chasten a wise man, and he will love thee proverbs nine eight, while good examples were frequently set for him by his boss both in religious and civil matters, young bad man would laugh at these and make a byword of them when he found himself in a place safe to do so. Yes, his boss required him to go with him to sermons of preachers he thought the best, but this ungodly young man was, how should I say it, I think he was a master at the art of all intentional disruption, for he had wicked ways to hinder himself from hearing no matter how loud the preacher thundered the message. What he would do when he came into a place for hearing a sermon was to sit down in some corner and fall fast asleep, or he'd fix his adulterous gaze on some beautiful young woman in the place, and so the entire time the sermon was being preached, he'd be feeding his fleshly lusts. Or if he spotted someone who fit his character and humor, he'd sit near to them and whisper, giggle and play around with them until the sermon was finished. He grew to a huge height of wickedness. He did, and the most aggravating thing of all was that this was how he acted as soon as he came into his boss's employ. He was just as ready to do all these things as he was before he came to serve an apprenticeship. As you relate it, I'd say rebellion could be added to his list of sins. Think you could say he made up his mind, saying, I will not hear, I will not regard, I will not desire good, I will not correct my behavior, I won't change, I won't be converted. You're right. I don't know whom I can more suitably compare him to than a man who, when I rebuked him or his wickedness, replied in a great huff, saying, What would the devil do for company if it wasn't for people like me? You actually heard someone say such a thing?" Yes, I did. And this young bad man was as like him as an egg is like an egg. Sadly, the Scripture makes mention of many who speak the same way by their actions. Scripture. They say unto God, Depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of thy ways. Job 21.14 Again, but they refused to hearken. And pulled away the shoulder, and stopped their ears that they should not hear, yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of the hosts has sent, Zechariah seven verses eleven and twelve aren't these people like bad men, and the young man I just mentioned, much to my own shame, this young man was my friend when I tried to cheer myself up to get over the grief of my sins that he has a great many friends yes young badman was certainly like him he walked in his footsteps as if to copy his very wickedness i mean as to his quick rebellion had he not been so rash he would never have answered you the way he did when you rebuked him for his sin when did you give him such a rebuke a while after god parted him and me through the calling of me by his grace As we went separate ways, this left him in his sins. As far as I could ever gather, he died the same way he lived, just like Mr. Badman did. But let's not get sidetracked. We aren't talking about him, so let's return to our conversation about Mr. Badman. Poor obstinate sinners! Do they think God can't even be with them? I don't know what they think. But I do know that God has said, As he cried, and they would not hear, so they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of the hosts. Zechariah 7 verse 13 Without a doubt, there is a time coming when Mr. Badman will cry for this. But I am amazed that he could be such an expert in wickedness so soon. It's a pity that he was just an adolescent, probably not even twenty years old. Right, he wasn't even eighteen. but. As with Ishmael, and with the children that mocked the prophet, the seeds of sin were set in motion in him at this early age. Scripture, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Genesis 21, verses 9-10. Then he went up from there unto Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, the young men of the city came forth, and mocked him, saying, Go up, thou baldhead, go up, thou baldhead. And he turned back, and looked on them, and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two bears came out of the forest, and tore apart forty-two young men of them. 2 Kings 2, verses 23 and 24 Well! He was as wicked a young man as generally one will hear about." "-I wonder what you'll say when you know the entire story." "-The entire story? There's even more behind all of this. Please tell me. I like to hear it." "-All right, I'll tell you then." He hadn't been with his boss much more than a year and a half when he became acquainted with three young hoods, who here will remain nameless. They taught him to add more of the same kinds of sin to his life, and as expected, he received their instructions. One of them was chiefly given to moral impurity, another to drunkenness, and the third to theft or stealing from his boss. How regrettable! The poor wretch was bad enough before, and I suppose these ruffians made him much worse. You can be sure of it, for they taught him to be a rogue, a principal one in all their ways. It was an accidental meeting that he ever became acquainted with them. It is better to think it through like this. It was the judgment of God that he did. That is, he became acquainted with them through the anger of God. He had a good boss, and before him a good father. Through these two he received good counsel for months and years, but his heart was set on malice. He loved wickedness more than doing good. His wickedness came to be hateful, and so these companions of his were sent from the anger of God. And this is how they met. The Apostle Paul said they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a perverse understanding. Romans 1, verse 28. And again, as for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall take them away with the workers of iniquity. Psalm 125, verse 5. And so this was God's hand on him, so he might be destroyed and be damned, because they did not receive the charity of the truth to be saved. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10. God chose his delusions and deluders for him, even the company of dishonorable, immoral men, of fools, so he might be destroyed. Scripture. Deceit is in the heart of those whose thoughts are evil. But joy in that of those whose thoughts are good. Proverbs 12, verse 20. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and chastening. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Wisdom is too high for a fool. Proverbs 24, verse 7. I certainly can only think that it is a great judgment of God for a man to be given up to the company of vile men like that, because What are such men but lures of the devil, sent to deceive and mislead others into evil? He uses such people to draw the simple into his net. One who practices lewdness, a drunkard, a thief, what are they but the devil's baits by which he catches others?" What you say is right, but this young bad man was no simple one, if by simple you mean one uninstructed. Because he often had good advice and instruction offered to him. But if by simple you mean he was a fool regarding the true knowledge of and faith in Christ, then he was definitely a simple one, for he chose death rather than life, and to live in continual opposition to God rather than to be reconciled to Him. According to that saying of the wise man Solomon, son of David, they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1 verse 29. What more dreadful judgment can a fool be given to than to be delivered into the hands of such men who are skilled at nothing but developing sin until it matures and accelerate its ripening unto damnation? For this reason, men should be afraid of offending God because he can punish them for their sins in this way. I knew a man who was once like me, hopefully awakened about his sinful condition. Yes, I knew two who were awakened like this, but in time they began to draw back and listen to their lusts again. Therefore God gave them up to the company of three or four men who in less than three years brought them forcefully to the gallows, where they were hanged like dogs because they refused to live like honest men. But such men don't believe that to be given over to God in this way is judgment and anger. instead. They take it to be their freedom to do what they want, and think it is what makes them happy. They are glad their cord is loosed. Scripture The Lord is righteous, He has cut asunder the cords of the wicked. Psalm 129, verse 4. They are glad they can sin without control, and choose such companionship which can make them more expert in an evil way. And so their judgment is so much greater, because blindness of mind is added to it, and hardness of heart in a wicked way. They are turned over to the way of death, but must not see to what place they are going, and so they must go as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stalks, until the arrow pierces through his liver. He is as a bird struggling in the snare, and not knowing that it is against his own life. Proverbs 7, verses 22-23 through I say this makes their judgment double. They are given over by God for a while to do as they want, which will assuredly make them mourn at the last, when thy flesh and thy body are consumed. Proverbs 5, verse 11. These are those that Peter says shall utterly perish in their own corruption, receiving the reward of their unrighteousness, as those that count it pleasure to live luxuriously every day, and at the same time they revel in their deceit. And are as natural animals without reason, made to be taken and destroyed. Second Peter two verses twelve through thirteen. Well, now I ask concerning these three rascals who were young bad man's companions, tell me more particularly how he stood with them. How he stood with them? Why, he did whatever they did. I hinted as much before when I said they made him a leader in their ways. First, he became a frequenter of taverns and alehouses and stayed until he was as drunk as a beast, and if it happened that he couldn't get out during the day, he made sure to get out at night. Yes, in the end he became such a public drunkard that everyone knew he was a drunkard. This was gluttony befitting a swine, because drunkenness is such a filthy sin. And contrary to the nature and dignity of men, that I wonder how anyone can give themselves up to such a beastly, even worse than beastly, thing. It is a gross, empty pleasure for sure. I will tell you another story. There was a gentleman who employed a drunkard to be his stableman. One night, the man came home very much defiled with beer, and his employer saw it. Well, the employer said to himself, I will let you alone tonight, but tomorrow morning I will convince you that you are worse than a beast by the behavior of my horse." So in the morning he told his stableman to go and water his horse, and so he did. But when he finished and returned to his employer, he commanded him to water the horse again. The fellow rode into the water a second time, but his employer's horse would drink no more. So the fellow came up out of the water and told his master that the horse wouldn't drink. Then the employer said, You drunken dolt! You are far worse than my horse. He will drink but to satisfy nature, but you drink to the mistreatment of nature. He drinks but only to refresh himself, but you drink to impairment and harm. He drinks so he can be more useful to his master. But you drink until you are incapable of serving either God or man. Oh, you beast! How much worse are you than the horse on which you ride?" Truly, I think his employer served him right, because in doing what he did, he showed him clearly that he didn't have as much control as his horse had. Consequently, this showed that his horse lived more according to the law of his nature by far than did his man. But please, go on. I'd like to hear what else you have to say. All right. I say there are four things which, if they are well considered, would make drunkenness abhorrent in the minds of people. One, it tends to greatly impoverish and makes a man destitute. The drunkard, says Solomon, shall come to poverty. Proverbs 23, verse 21. Many who came into the world with plenty have gone out of it in rags because of drunkenness. Yes, many children born to good estates have been brought to flounder, living loose and disorderly, addicted to lewdness and other scandalous vices through this beastly sin of their parents. Second, this sin of drunkenness brings many great and incurable diseases upon the body and no one can help them. By them men come to their end in a short time. So, because they are excessively wicked, they die before their time. Scripture. Do not be hasty to condemn, neither be thou foolish. Why should thou die in the midst of thy labors? Ecclesiastes 7:17. Third. Drunkenness is a sin often joined by an abundance of other evils. Scripture. For who shall be the woe? For who shall be the woe? For who contention? For who quarrels? For who the wounds without cause? Who shall have redness of eyes? For those that tarry long at the wine, those that go to seek mixed wine. Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 30. Number 4. Through drunkenness, men often shorten their lives. They step out of the alehouse drunk and break their necks before they arrive home. Many instances could be given of this, but this is so obvious I don't need to go into detail. But worst of all is that it also prepares men for everlasting hell. Scripture Drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 10. The drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall cause them to wear rags. Proverbs 23, verse 21. Yes, and it stupefies and makes the soul foolish, so that a man who is far gone in drunkenness is hardly ever restored to God. Tell me, when have you ever seen an old drunkard converted? No, such an unbelieving person will sleep until he dies. He sleeps on the top of a mast with his eyes closed fast. Even when his dangers are greater than ever, with death and damnation so near, he will not be awakened out of his sleep. Scripture. Thou shalt be as he that lies down in the midst of the sea, or as he that sleeps at the rudder. They have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When I shall awake, I will seek it yet again. Proverbs 23, verses 34 35. If a person has any respect for faith, health, life, or salvation, He won't be a drunken man. But the truth is, where this sin gets the upper hand, people are, as I said before, so intoxicated, controlled by the desire for the sweetness of superficial pleasures, that they don't have the heart or mind to think about what is best, choices that, if embraced, would do them good. You said that drunkenness directs people to poverty, yet some make themselves rich through drunken deals. I said so because the word says so and while some people get rich in this way that is certainly rare and without dignity and such profits will end up worthless the word of god is clear it is against such ways and the curse of god will be the end of such doings an inheritance can sometimes be quickly acquired at the beginning but the end of it won't be blessed listen to what the prophet habakkuk said woe to him that covets ill-gotten gain, that he may set his nest on high. Habakkuk 2: verse 9. Whether he makes drunkenness or something else the driving force and lure to get it, the one who does this only seeks the shame of his own house, the spoiling of his family, and the damnation of his soul, because what he gains by the workings of wickedness is only obtained by the devices of hell. Therefore, neither he nor his family can gain or obtain profit by that which is achieved by an evil course. But this was one of the sins that Mr. Badman was addicted to after he became acquainted with these three fellows. And with all that his boss tried to do to help, he couldn't break him from this dreadful sin. But since he was only an apprentice, where did he get the money to get drunk? As you have suggested? Drunkenness is a very costly sin. His boss paid for everything. As I told you before, as he learned from these three scoundrels how to be an appalling drunkard, he also learned to pilfer and steal from his boss. Sometimes he would sell his boss's goods but keep the money when he could. Sometimes he cheated his boss by taking money out of his cash box. And when he could do neither of these, he carried away goods he thought his boss would least miss, and send or carry them to such and such houses where he knew they would be stored for his use. And then he set times to meet up with and make merry with these fellows. This was as bad, now I think worse, than what you told me earlier, because by doing this he not only brought himself under the wrath of God, but also risked the ruin of his boss in his family sins don't travel alone one follows the other like the links of a chain he who chooses to be a drunkard must have money either his own or someone else's either his father's mother's boss's robbery at the public road some way i fear that many an honest man is undone by such employees i agree with you but this should make the dealer more wary about what kind of employees he hires and what kind of apprentices he takes in. It should also teach him to look after his shop himself and to take strict account of everything bought and sold by his workers. In this case, the boss's neglect in these things can embolden his employee to be bad and in the process can bring him to nothing but rags and a morsel of bread in short time. I'm afraid there's a lot of this kind of pilfering among employees in these bad days of ours. Now, while I'm thinking of it, I'll tell you a story. When I was in prison, a woman came to me who was in a great deal of trouble. Since I didn't know her, I asked her why she'd come to me. She said, I'm afraid I could be damned. I asked the cause of those fears, and she said, I've lived with a shopkeeper at Wellingborough for some time and I have robbed his money box in the shop several times of more than I will say. Please," she said, tell me what I should do. I told her I wanted her to go to the shopkeeper and make amends with him. She said, I'm afraid. I asked her why. She said she didn't doubt he would hang her. I told her I would intercede for her life and ask others to do the same, but she shook her head and said she didn't dare to attempt that. Well, I said, should I send to the shopkeeper while you hide out of sight and make your peace with him before he sees you? With that I asked her the shopkeeper's name, but all she said was, Please don't do anything until I come to you again. With that said, she went away and never told me her master's name or her own. This was about ten or twelve years ago, and I never saw her again. I tell you this story to confirm your fears that such employees and servants exist, and that God makes them sometimes reveal themselves through the terrors He lays on them. I could tell you of another who came to me with a similar story concerning herself and the robbing of her mistress, but for now let this suffice. But what was that other nasty scoundrel addicted to? I'm talking about young Badman's third companion. Moral impurity. I told you before, but it seems you've forgotten. Right, it was moral impurity. Such uncleanness is also a filthy sin. It is, and yet it is one of the leading sins in our day. So they say and it's even rampant among those one would think should know better, even among notable people. That makes it even worse, because the examples set by those who are in charge and deemed important usually spread faster and more universally than the sins of other less-known people. When such people like this lead the way in sinning, then sin walks with a bold face through the land. Like the prophet Jeremiah said, It can be said of such people, for from the prophets of Jerusalem is hypocrisy gone forth upon all the land, Jeremiah 23, verse 15. That is, with a bold and fearless face. Please, let's get back to Mr. Badman and his companions again. You say one of them was very vile in the commission of moral impurity. Yes, I did say that. But he was also a drunkard and a thief. But he was most preeminent in this unclean sin of moral impurity. This nomadic life was his masterpiece, for he was a ringleader in the beastly sin of lewdness, fornication, and the practice of unlawful commerce with the other sex. He was also the most familiar with houses where such activities took place, and could readily lead the rest of his gang to them. And because the prostitutes knew this young rogue, they immediately introduced themselves and all their whorish pranks to those he brought with him. That is a deadly thing, I mean, to young men. When such foul queens unveil themselves with words and postures that are openly tempting, it's hard for young men to escape their snare. That's true, and for this reason the wise man Solomon's counsel is best. Scripture remove thy way far from her and do not come near the door of her house proverbs 5 verse 8 for they are as you say very tempting as is seen in the proverbs the wise solomon says i looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones i discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding passing through the street near her corner and he went the way to her house in the twilight in the evening in the black and dark night. And behold, a woman met him with the attire of a harlot, and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet do not abide in her house. Now without, now in the streets, she lies in wait at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him, and with an impudent face said unto him, I had promised sacrifices of peace. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore, I came forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. Proverbs 7, verses 6-18. This is an example of a bold creature, and to be sure, the very eyes, hands, words, and ways of such a woman are all snares and cords that bind to youthful, lustful men, and with these, young Badman was greatly snared. This sin of moral impurity is mightily cried out against by Moses, the prophets, Christ, and his apostles, and yet we see that even with all that. Men still run headlong to it. How true. And I'll add that God has set a stamp of his righteous anger upon it to hold men back from such a filthy sin. Besides the eternal damnation that awaits such people in the next world, for no fornicator nor unclean person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Ephesians 5 5. The evil effects of it in this world are dreadful. Yes, He has commanded evil effects to follow it, so that those who are bereft of all fear of God, but who love their own health, might stop and be afraid to commit it. Please, show me some examples, so if the occasion arises, I can show them to others for their good. All right. First, as I mentioned, the sin brings a person to neediness and poverty. Scripture for by means of a whorish woman a man is reduced to a piece of bread. Proverbs 6, verse 26. The reason is that a prostitute doesn't offer her services without getting paid. When the devil and lust is in men, and the fear of God is far from them, it will not stop them. So they go on to accomplish their desire by pledging their signet stamp, bracelets, and their staff, rather than misfulfilling their lusts. Scripture. Then he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet, and thy mantle, and thy staff that is in thine hand. And he gave them to her, and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. Genesis 38, verse 18 Secondly, this sin diminishes the strength of men and brings a multitude of diseases. This is something King Lemuel's mother warned him about. Scripture What, my son? And what, the son of my womb? And what, the son of my vows? Do not give thy strength nor thy ways unto the women who destroy kings. Proverbs 31, verses 2 and 3. This sin is destructive to the body. Let me tell you another story I've heard pertaining to Proverbs 31, verses 2 and 3. It's about a great man who was a very lewd, unchaste person. He'd lived for so long in that sin that he had almost lost his sight. So he sent for his physicians and told them about his disease, but they told him they couldn't do anything for him unless he abstained from his women. No, then, he said, goodbye, sweet sight. You can see that in general this sin, as I said, is destructive to the body. Beyond that, some men are so filled with sexual passion that they satisfy it, even though it destroys their body. The apostle Paul also says that he who sins in this way sins against his own body. Scripture, Flee fornication. Any other sin that a man does is outside the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians eighteen. What about that? He runs the risk of eternal damnation of his soul, but will still commit this sin and risk destroying his body. If young Badman didn't fear the damnation of his soul, do you think that the thought of harming his body would have deterred him from this sin? What you say is true, but I still think if men would consider the fact that such bad effects often follow when they commit this sin then it would at least put a stop to their general course of living this way. What other vile effects are there with this sin? To start with, there is the outward shame and disgrace. Particularly, a foul disease often follows this vulgar sin, which is now commonly called the pox by most people. It's a disease so nauseous and stinking, so infectious to the whole body and caused by this sin, and so common among impure women that they all more or less have a touch of it to their shame. That certainly is a foul disease. I once knew a man who brought it away with it, and another who had his nose eaten off and his mouth almost completely sewed up by it. It is a disease that, once diagnosed, usually points to lewd, unchaste living as the cause. It declares to everyone who sees such a man that he is an offensive, coarse, immoral person. Job speaks of this strange punishment which is appointed to take hold of these workers of iniquity. Scripture She is loud and stubborn, her feet do not abide in her house. With her much fair speech she caused him to yield, with the flattering of her lips she persuaded him. Her house is the way to shield going down to the chambers of death, proverbs seven verse eleven twenty one and twenty seven as a dog returns to his vomit, so the fool returns to his folly proverbs twenty six verse eleven then it seems you think that the strange punishment Job speaks of could be this foul disease, I think so, and for this reason. We see that this disease is linked to this most filthy sin, and there isn't any disease connected in this way to any other sin. The fact that this is the sin linked to the strange punishment which settles on certain people lets you easily distinguish this when you read the text. Scripture I made a covenant with mine eyes, Job said. Why then should I think upon a maid? For what portion of God is there from above? and what inheritance of the Almighty from on high! And then He answers Himself, Is not destruction to the wicked, and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? Job 31, verses 1-3, through KJV This strange punishment is the pox. I also think this foul disease is what Solomon means when he speaks about whosoever commits adultery with a woman. Proverbs 6, verse 32 that a wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall never be wiped away. Proverbs 6:33. Job calls it a punishment, and Solomon calls it a wound and dishonor. They both point to it as a distinguishing mark common to this sin, with Job calling it strange and Solomon saying, It is a reproach that shall never be wiped away. What other consequences follow those who commit this foul sin? Well, attentive, it is often accompanied by murder the murder of the baby conceived on the defiled bed. Exactly how common it is for the men and women involved in this sin to consent together to murder their children will be revealed at the Day of Judgment, yet something of it is clear now. I will explain with another story. This one is about an elderly man I knew. He was a man of good reputation in our country who had a mother who was a midwife. She was mostly employed in attending important, well-known people. One time a brave young man rode up to this woman's house on horseback to fetch her to come attend to a young lady. She prepared herself to go with him, and he carried her in the saddle behind him on his horse. They rode away into the night, but they hadn't ridden far when He dismounted from his horse and took the old midwife in his arms from the horse. He spun her around several times and then set her on the horse again. He mounted, and away they went until they came to a stately house. They dismounted, and he invited her in. He led her into a chamber where the young lady was experiencing labor pains. He told the midwife to do her duty. She demanded help but he drew his sword and told her if she didn't hurry up and do her duty, she should expect to die. Well, to be brief, this old midwife attended to the young lady, and she delivered a fine, sweet baby. Now within the hearth, in a nearby room, a very great fire burned. The gentleman took the baby, went into that room, and drew the coals aside and cast the child into the fire and covered it up. That was the end of that. When the midwife had finished her work, he paid her well for her trouble, but he shut her up in a dark room all day. When night fell, he again took her up behind him on his horse and carried her away until she was almost home. Once again, he spun her around and round like he did before. Then he delivered her to her house, set her down, bid her farewell, and away he went and she never knew who it was. This story the midwife's son, who was a minister, told me, and he also declared that his mother told it to him as a true account. Murder certainly does often follow as the fruit of this sin, but sometimes God brings even these adulterers and adulteresses to shameful ends. I heard about one, I think, a doctor of medicine and his whore. They had three or four bastard children between them and had murdered them all. But finally they were hanged for it, in or near Colchester. It came about in this way. The whore's conscience was so troubled about what they had done that she couldn't be quiet, and so she made it known. In this way, God often makes those involved in wickedness their own accusers, and brings them, by their own tongues, to their deserved punishment for their sins. There have been many such instances. I was once in the presence of a woman, a married woman, who was bedridden by the sickness of which she died. While on her deathbed her conscience was smitten by the sin of immorality, which she had committed often with other men. While on her bed I heard her cry out, I am a whore, and all my children are bastards. I must go to hell for my sin, and look, there stands the devil at my bed's feet to receive my soul when I die. These are sad stories. Don't tell me any more of them right now. Instead, if you please, show me some other evil effects of this foul sin. This sin is such a snare to the soul that unless a miracle of grace prevents it, it unavoidably perishes in the enchanting and bewitching pleasures of it. This is made clear by such verses as these A whorish woman will hunt the precious soul of the man. Proverbs 6 26. Whosoever commits adultery with a woman has a fault in his heart. He that does it corrupts his own soul. Proverbs 6 32. For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. Proverbs 23 27. Therefore, her house inclines unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither do they take hold of the paths of life. Proverbs 2, verses 18-19. She has caused many to fall down dead. Yea, all the strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Proverbs 7, verses 26-27. These are dreadful sayings, but they do show the dreadful state of those guilty of this sin. They surely do. But still, the thing that makes it even more dreadful is that men are given over to this sin because they are detested by God, and therefore they fall into the commission of this sin and live there. Scripture The mouth of strange women is a deep pit he that is abhorred of the Lord shall fall therein. Proverbs 22, verse 14. This ye know that no fornicator, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is also an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Ephesians 5, verse 5. When you put it all together, it is a dreadful thing to live and die in this sin. True. But suppose that instead of all the judgments connected to this sin, it was all the joys of this life, with no bitterness, shame, or disgrace mixed with it. One hour in hell will still spoil it all. Oh, this hellfire and damnation in hell is such an inconceivable punishment that if it was thoroughly believed it would nip this sin with others in the head. But here is the harm. Those who give themselves up to these things harden themselves so much in unbelief and atheism regarding the punishments God has threatened to inflict on those who commit them that they eventually hold an almost absolute and firm belief that there is no judgment to come in the future. Or they would not or could not attempt to commit this sin with such abominable language as some do. I heard about one man who tempted his girl into committing this sin by saying, If you will give your body, I will give my soul. And I heard another man tempting a young maiden to commit moral impurity with him by saying that if she ended up pregnant, he could tell her how she might escape punishment, and it was somewhat extreme. He said, When you come before the judge, tell him that you are with child by the Holy Spirit. I actually heard him say this, and it greatly bothered me. I thought about accusing him for it before some magistrate, but he was a famous man, and I was poor and young, so I let it alone, but it troubled me very much. That's the most horrible thing I've ever heard. How far these men are from that spirit and grace that lived in Joseph. Scripture. And it came to pass as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not hearken unto her to lie by her or to be with her Genesis 39 verse 10 Right when Joseph's mistress tempted him daily tempted him she laid hold of him and said lie with me Genesis 39 verse 7 but he didn't listen and he refused to lie with her or to be with her Mr Badman would have taken the opportunity And let's take a moment to comment a little about what Joseph did. Here was a woman, an important woman, who was the wife of the captain of the guard, and I admit a beautiful woman. In this case, the woman prevailed, and in her whorish affections came over to Joseph without him speaking a word. She made her immoral desires known. She said, Lie with me. It was a perfect opportunity because no one else was in the house. Joseph was a young man, full of strength, and so all the more in danger of being swayed. This temptation lasted for days, but still Joseph refused her daily temptation, her daily solicitation, and her daily and continual vigorous goading. When she caught him by the garment, she said, Lie with me, but he left his garment in her hand and rushed out. And yes, although contempt, treachery, slander, accusation, imprisonment, and danger of death followed, an immoral woman doesn't care what harm she causes if she can't have her way, Joseph wouldn't defile himself, sin against God, and risk his own eternal salvation. Blessed Joseph, I wish more fellows were like him. Unfortunately, more men are like Mr. Badman than Joseph or there wouldn't be so many immoral women. For while I don't doubt that sex is bad enough this way, I truly believe that many women are lured into becoming immoral in the beginning by the flatteries of bad men and men like him. Sadly, many women are plunged into this sin at the beginning by promises of marriage. They are flattered by these promises, and yes, compelled into consenting to this deep depravity. Then, once involved, they grow hardened in their hearts and surrender themselves over to it in the end, just like wicked men do, with greediness to act like this. But as you can see, Joseph thought differently because the fear of God was in him. Before I leave this topic, let me tell you two more notable stories. Two that I wish Mr. Badman's companions might hear. They are found in Samuel Clark's A Mirror or Looking Glass, both for Saints and Sinners. Among the stories, Mr. Clark reports about a man by the name of Mr. Cleaver, who he knew had committed the immoral act of adultery. This Mr. Cleaver fell into such fear and disgust of conscience after what he'd done that he hung himself he left behind a note that said, I certainly acknowledge it to be totally unlawful for a man to kill himself. But I am compelled to undertake the judge's part, because the punishment of this sin is death." On the same page, Clark also mentions two more who, as they were committing adultery in London, were immediately struck dead in the very act with fire from heaven. Their bodies were found half burned up. And smelled disgusting. These are remarkable stories, for sure. Yes, they are true as well. I wonder if young badman's boss knew him to be such a wretch, if he would allow him in this house. They liked one another about as little as fire and water do. Young badman's ways were repulsive to his boss, and young badman couldn't endure his boss's ways. So, in the relationship these two had this saying of the holy spirit was fulfilled an unjust man is an abomination to the just and he that is upright in the way is abomination to the wicked proverbs 29 verse 27 mr badman couldn't tolerate the good man's ways nor could the good man tolerate the bad ways of his immoral apprentice yet if he could his boss would have kept him and taught him his trade if he could, he might as well have since he was there, right?" Sadly, bad man ran away from him a couple of times and wouldn't be controlled. So the next time he ran away, he let him go, because he'd given him no reason to run away except trying to hold the young man's behavior in check as much as he could, but he could do little to get him to observe the good and honest rules of life. And, in this case, he should have let him go. What else can a man do who has regard for his own peace, his children's good, or the protection of the rest of his employees from evil, except let him go? The house of correction would have been a better fit for him, but his boss was reluctant to send him there because of the love he had for Badman's bad man's father. I say a house of correction would have been the most suitable place for him, but his boss let him go. "We ran away, you say; where did he run to?"